This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Luster. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 225. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, ready to take you on a voyage into the realms of the imagination. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also let you know what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you part five of my comedic portal fantasy, The Dark Lord Steve. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 221 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. For the last few months, Steve has been working to help the servants and tenant farmers of the sorcerer Galvero, whom Steve accidentally vaporized in the process of escaping a magic circle. In last week's episode, Steve faced a new challenge when Galvero's overlord sent a new baron to take ownership of the fiefdom. Steve's powers could no longer affect the castle and its grounds, because they had a new owner. The baron arrived soon after harvest, with a retinue of his own servants who would soon displace Daisy and her friends. Fortunately, Galvero's people had known this would happen, and with their help, Daisy and Steve put together a plan. On the night of the baron's arrival, the town threw a banquet for him and his retinue. On the stroke of midnight, when the revelers were all thoroughly drunk, Steve stormed into the banquet hall in the form of an enormous demon. He claimed ownership of the castle and its lands by right of conquest, and the terrified baron agreed. Accompanied by the townsfolk, Steve sent the baron and his minions packing. After subsequent attempts to conquer Steve's realm had failed, Steve and Daisy finally made peace with the overlord, who ceded the territory to Steve's control in exchange for a non-aggression pact. With their home now secured, Steve and Daisy can turn their attention to other problems, like trying to find a way for Steve to go home to his own world. The Dark Lord Steve Written and read by Chris Lester Part 5 With the land's borders secured, Steve set to work trying to find a way back to his world. He sent envoys to other sorcerers and wizards throughout the Reach and beyond, and hired adventurers to bring him spellbooks and magical artifacts. Whatever he learned, he shared with Daisy, and they spent hours together poring over ancient tomes and practicing spells. She did not have much formal education, but she was bright and curious and eager to learn. Together, they figured out that most forms of magic were actually forbidden to Steve. As a demon, he could summon and change objects as he saw fit, but actual spells would only work for the local humans. If this was a simulation, Steve wondered if that was what the designers considered game balance. 
Sending Steve home turned out to be more complicated than he had expected. A summoner could banish the demon he had summoned, as long as it was contained within the pentagram, but since Galvero's spell had been broken, the means for banishing Steve had been broken with it. No one seemed to know how to banish a demon that had been freed. There were vague references to appealing to the gods, but nothing like a how-to manual. Months went by without further progress, and eventually Steve put the project on the back burner. There was work to be done in his kingdom, crops to be planted and harvested, improvements to be made in the town and the castle, more diplomacy with neighboring rulers. It was a rewarding life, and while he had been here longer than he planned, he knew there wasn't really any rush to get home. Based on what Rashid had told him, every year of time in this world was only a day back in his. He topped off Maleficent's food and water the morning before he left. She'd be fine without him for a few days. Eventually, they'd figure out a way for him to get back, and Steve could just tell his boss he'd gotten the flu or something. Nothing to worry about. Sometimes, he went weeks without thinking of Oakland at all. Through it all, Daisy remained at his side, his first and closest confidant. As Steve's second-in-command, she had the opportunity to do more, to be more, than she ever had in her previous life, and she took to it with gusto. In addition to her magical studies, she learned to read English, and subsequently devoured books on agronomy and water management. Steve thought it was desperately boring, but when Daisy came to him with a plan to overhaul their entire farming setup, he gave her the thumbs up. Their crop yields quadrupled the following year, and they sold the surplus to neighboring realms for a handsome profit. Daisy also embraced the ceremonial side of her role. A demon lord, she reasoned, needed a lieutenant who looked the part. Glamorous and inspiring, and at least a little scary. She designed her own outfits and had Steve conjure them into existence. Elaborate garments of velvet and satin, lace and leather, cloth of silver, and other, even more exotic materials. Steve summoned some fashion magazines from his world for her to use as inspiration. Though at first she was scandalized by the amount of skin they exposed, she gradually grew more daring and experimental in her choices. On one hot summer day, nearly two years after Steve's arrival, he sat on the bed in Daisy's chamber and watched as she modeled her latest outfit. She had based it on a dress that a famous actress had worn to the Oscars last year, but as she looked back and forth between the mirror and the magazine, Steve thought she looked a little sad. "'What's wrong?' he asked. "'Did I screw up the dress?' Daisy smiled patiently at him but it didn't reach her eyes. No, dear Steve, the dress is lovely. The problem is here. She gestured at her own torso. I have not the bosom to do it justice, nor the, uh... She pointed to her backside. Booty? Steve suggested, teasingly. That surprised a laugh out of her. <laughs> that would be a strange treasure indeed. Imagine finding a woman's bottom in a dragon's hoard. She bent over and stuck out her butt in Steve's direction, waggling it back and forth. Steve laughed along with her. He loved the way she played with his words. After a moment, Daisy's laughter gave way to a resigned sigh. 
She looked down at the magazine again, then turned it toward Steve. I'm being silly. I will never be so lovely and glamorous as this. Steve took the magazine from her, looked down at it thoughtfully. Well... Daisy frowned. What? Steve looked up at her. Okay, listen. I like you just the way you are, all right? You've been amazing, and I'm not... You don't need to change for me. You get that, right? Daisy's frown deepened. Yes? Okay. Steve took a deep breath, then sat up a little straighter. He still wasn't sure he should even be going here, but Daisy had brought it up first. He turned the magazine around again to face her. If you wanted to look like this, or like anything else, I could make it happen. He gestured at his own handsome, muscular body, which he had fine-tuned to his own specifications. I did it to myself. If it's what you want, I can do it for you. Daisy's eyes widened a little. But for you to do that, I would have to give you my name. Yeah, Steve agreed. Daisy looked back over her shoulder at the mirror. You could change me however you wanted to, she said, her voice low and thoughtful. You would possess me in body and soul. Steve felt very uncomfortable. Well, I don't know if I'd put it that way. But it is the truth. They say a demon who holds your name can do whatever he wishes to you. I... I guess, yeah. His cheeks were burning, and he couldn't look at her. But all I want is to make you happy. She said nothing for a long moment. Steve looked down at his feet and felt like an idiot. You should never have said anything, he told himself. It took so long for her to really trust you, and now you just threw that away. His mental self-haranguing was interrupted when a pair of bare legs stepped into view in front of him. A hand cupped his chin. He looked up. Daisy had taken off the dress. She stood before him, wearing only a bra and plain cotton panties, garments that Steve had conjured en masse soon after his arrival, when he realized what awful stuff the townspeople were using for underwear. A bright red flush had spread from her cheeks down to the middle of her sternum, but her eyes were steady as they met his. My name is Apha, daughter of Albin, she said. I am yours, my lord Steve. In truth, I was yours already. She took his hand in hers, placed it over her own heart. Make of me what you will. Steve felt his mouth fall open. He looked down at his hand. Daisy's heart thudded against his palm, hard and steady. She held his hand firmly in place, and while he could have pulled away without any difficulty, he found that he did not want to. Dude, he whispered. He met her eyes again. I... You're sure? Daisy nodded. I have long had... Desires I dared not name. Dreams I thought to deny. The desire to... To be molded, like clay at the potter's wheel. To be reshaped to suit you, the way you reshape everything else. Her blush deepened. Let me be what you most desire, my lord. 
You have given me so much. Let me give you myself in return. My body and soul are yours. Steve became immediately aware of three things. First, there was a very good reason he hadn't been trying harder to get home, and she was standing right in front of him. He didn't want to go anywhere without Daisy. Second, if he could find a way to bring Daisy back with him to the Bay Area, she would love bondage Agogo. The woman obviously had some major fetishes that were going unfulfilled in this world. And third, apparently Steve had some unfulfilled fetishes of his own, because he was seriously, painfully turned on. A slow, hungry smile spread across his face. He felt his voice drop half an octave as he said, As you wish, Apha, daughter of Alban. There was a ripple of power, and Steve felt that tingling, unseen potential that permeated the castle extend its reach into Daisy's body. He was aware of her now on a deeper level. He could sense every part of her, and how each part fit with the parts around it. It was an even stronger connection than he had gotten from Galvero. He'd had influence over the sorcerer's body, his actions, but that control had been limited by Galvero's resistance. There was no such resistance in Daisy. She had given herself to him completely, of her own free will. He could reshape her in any way he wished, in body and mind alike. She was his because she chose to be. Nobody had ever trusted Steve like that before. He wasn't sure he deserved such trust. But it was a hell of an offer, and he wasn't about to turn it down. Despite what everyone around here seemed to think, he was only human. He closed his eyes for a moment to clarify his thoughts, then opened them and extended his will. Daisy's body began to glow, and then it began to change. Her arms, legs, and torso lengthened until she was a full six feet tall, half a head shorter than Steve's new body, but still towering over most of the people in this world. Her hips and shoulders widened, and her breasts and buttocks swelled, growing into a lush and voluptuous hourglass figure. At the same time, her muscles grew larger and more defined, like those of a gymnast or one of the warrior women in his comics and video games. As soon as that idea occurred to him, he thought of skills that his trusted lieutenant should possess, martial arts and horseback riding and combat with sword and staff and bow. The glow around Daisy's head intensified, and her eyes fluttered as the knowledge poured into her. Steve thought of one of his favorite movies, a sci-fi film where the hero had skills downloaded directly into his head. You know Kung Fu, he whispered, and grinned. At last, he turned his attention to Daisy's face. He didn't want her to be unrecognizable, so he kept her most attractive features. Her bright blue eyes, the shape of her ears, her high cheekbones, the bridge of her nose, and made a series of little tweaks to the rest, erasing a few pox scars here, raising the brow ridge there thickening the lips and eyelashes, strengthening the chin, adjusting the line of the jaw. He gave her perfect teeth, white, straight, and even, and changed her hair from brown to a brilliant coppery red, which he thought looked far better with her fair skin and freckles. 
he removed his hand from her chest and stepped back to admire his work, walking a slow circle around her. Daisy had been transformed into an Amazonian warrior goddess, statuesque, powerful, and sexy as hell. She opened her eyes and raised her head slightly, looking calm, poised, and confident. How do I look, my lord? Daisy asked. Her voice had changed as well, deep, rich, and smooth as honey. Steve grinned again and gestured at the mirror. See for yourself. Daisy turned and sashayed over to the mirror, her hips swaying sensuously with every step. She stopped about three feet away and stared at herself in open wonder, her eyes roaming up and down as she took in her new form. After a moment, she shook herself, then began to explore her new body more fully. She reached down and hefted her enlarged breasts, turned sideways and caressed her ass, flexed the muscles in her arms and abs and watched them pop. Slowly, her astonishment gave way to a broad grin. Oh, I like this, she said at last. I like this a lot. Steve smiled again, almost shyly this time. He felt like an artist being complimented on a new painting. I'm glad, he said. A small part of his mind wondered if Daisy liked the changes because he had guessed right about what would make her happy, or if she liked them because he liked them, and he had unconsciously reshaped her mind to want whatever he wanted for her. In the end, he decided, it didn't really matter. She had asked him to make her what he most desired. And now? Now he desired her a whole hell of a lot. As if responding to that thought, Daisy smiled seductively over her shoulder at him. And I'm glad you like it. She turned and prowled toward him, every step oozing confident sensuality. She pressed her body against his, took his head in her hands, and kissed him. Steve returned the kiss eagerly, his own hands wrapping around her waist and back and holding her close. He could feel his erection straining against the fabric of his trousers. Daisy noticed it, too. She pressed her hips into him and chuckled against his mouth, a rich, wicked sound. She broke the kiss, smiled sensuously up at him. So, she said playfully, Am I everything you desire, my lord? Or is there anything else you would change in me? Steve was having sort of a hard time thinking at that point. Still, there was one idea that rose, unavoidable, from the recesses of his testosterone-addled mind. Um, yeah. Hold still a sec. He put his hand to Daisy's forehead. Again, she began to glow and her eyelids fluttered as new knowledge coursed into her brain. When the light faded, her eyes snapped open wide. Oh my, she whispered. What was that? Steve smiled sheepishly. The, um, combined experience of the world's top ten porn stars. Daisy stared at him for a moment. He might have expected her to blush again but instead her blue eyes sparkled with delight, and a long, bubbling laugh spilled out of her. Then she pushed him over backwards onto her bed. Oh, you wicked, wicked demon, 
she said fondly as she climbed up to straddle him. We are going to have such fun, you and I. And so they did, on that day and the next, and for many, many days thereafter. Steve walked around the perimeter of his summoning tower, studying the incantation from all angles. Everything looks right to me. Nice work, huh? Daisy smiled up at him. She knelt beside the pentagram with a ritual knife, a cup, and one of the books of magic they had collected and studied over nearly four years together. Thanks, she said. I think we're ready. Let's do it, Steve agreed, and moved back behind Daisy to let her work. Daisy lit the candles around the magic circle and began chanting in high Flavinian. She cut a small incision in the palm of her hand and squeezed a few drops of blood into the cup. As she finished the final lines of the invocation, she tossed the blood into the air over the pentagram, calling out in a loud voice, Rashid Ismail Paracha, I summon thee! There was a rush of wind as a hole opened in reality, and Rashid fell sprawling into the middle of the pentagram. Ow! Fuck! Rashid shouted. Yeah, I think that's what I said, too, Steve said, grinning. Rashid sat up quickly, his eyes wide. He was dressed in a tank top, gym shorts, and tennis shoes, and his whole body wore a light sheen of sweat. Holy shit! Steve? You're alive! Rashid Ismail Paracha, Daisy said, cutting him off. I have summoned thee and bound thee in my power. Heed my words. Rashid seemed to notice the beautiful woman in front of him for the first time. Whoa, he said, straightening up a little. You are way better looking than the last sorcerer who called me. Steve, is she with you? His eyes went wide, as if a new thought had struck him. His voice dropped to an excited whisper. Did she summon you to be her demon lover? Steve shot him an incredulous look. What? No, I told you, that idiot Galvero summoned me. I used his name to break out, and Daisy and I led a rebellion. Daisy showed them both a lopsided grin. The demon lover part didn't come until later. Rashid looked stunned. Holy shit, dude. I thought you were dead. Nobody's seen you in days. Did you get stuck here? Is that why you called me? Partly. Do you know if there's a way to move people from this world to our world? Like maybe we could upload Daisy to the other simulation? Rashid waved his hands around his head, as if he were shooing away a fly. Wait, stop. I know it's been like four years for you, but do you remember when I said the whole simulation thing was a guess? So you haven't figured anything else out since then? Four days, dude, Rashid protested. Come on, man, I'm supposed to figure out the secrets of the universe in four days? There's not enough mushrooms in all of Oakland for that. Steve gestured vaguely with one hand, conceding the point. All right, fair. Look, I don't want to leave here without Daisy, all right? So I'm going to be sticking around here a while longer. And since you're the one who got me into this mess, that means I need a favor from you. Guilt warred with suspicion on Rashid's face. What kind of favor? 
Steve reached into his pocket and pulled out his keys. They had been in the ignition of his car when he left, but it was easy enough to summon them, now that he had a reason to. He did the same with his wallet, and tossed them both to Rashid. Take care of Maleficent for me. You can stay in my apartment. I know you're still living with your mom and your brothers, so I figured you'll appreciate the space. Rashid's brown skin darkened a little with his blush, but he nodded. All right, that's fair, I guess. Cool, Steve said. See if you can find my car, too. I left it in the Yerba Buena tunnel during rush hour, so it's gotta be in an impound lot by now. If you can get it out for me, you can use it till I get back. Oh, and here. He summoned two fat rolls of hundred-dollar bills and tossed those to Rashid as well. He imagined that they had been summoned from a drug lord's stash. Hopefully that was enough to make it true. Don't forget to pay rent. Sweet, Rashid said, and slipped everything into his pockets. What do you want me to tell the boss? Steve grinned. Tell him I've gone off the grid for a mental health retreat. I'm sure he'll understand. And that's the end of part five. Come back next time, when Steve's reforms catch the attention of someone he had never expected. Hey there, folks. Chris Lester here, coming to you unscripted for this week's outro. So, this is the end of the third week of quarantine-slash-self-isolation-slash-social-distancing in this, the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. So what have I been up to? You'll remember that last week I mentioned that I was having a hard time getting myself moving again, getting myself doing anything related to my creative projects. So I still have not done any new writing, but I did make a move in the right direction this week, which is that I started doing my research for my FF romance series, Honor and Natasha. I read a book this week, a short book by Kat Sebastian, called A Little Light Mischief. It is a Regency period FF romance, and it is absolutely delightful. I need to thank my friend Lore for recommending this book to me, because it was exactly what I needed right now, in the midst of everything being dark and awful and terrible in the news and in world events, it was really nice to just escape into a uh, a lovely little story about a uh, lady's maid and a spinster falling in love. This was uh, a really good story with strong characters, really clever prose, and uh, just a wonderful slow burn romance. Sebastian packed a lot of story into this little three-hour book, and also the narrator, Morag Sims, was just lovely. She did a fantastic job. So I highly recommend this book if you are into sweet, lovely little stories about people falling in love. I did look for more books by Cat Sebastian after reading this one, but all of her other stuff is either MF or MM, 
So not really in line with the kind of research that I'm trying to do right now for this series. But this one was great, and if you like this sort of thing, I think it's well worth checking out. I also started this week on reading another FF romance. This one is a romantic fantasy. It seems like there's going to be more focus on plot in terms of like things happening with the characters in addition to the, the actual romance portion of it. I'm only in the first chapter right now, so I don't know whether or not this is going to be a book that I'm going to recommend. So I'm not going to tell you who the author is or what the, the name of the book is until I have a better sense of whether I can recommend it. Things that I like so far, I like a lot of the world building that the author has set up. In particular, this is a world with no heteronormative assumptions whatsoever. It's explicitly stated right from the outset that most people are fairly indifferent to the biological sex of their their romantic partners, but that the royalty, because this is kind of an epic fantasy, swords and sorcery kind of world, royalty have to be more thoughtful about the kinds of relationships that they get into because they have to be able to produce heirs. So the story that I'm reading right now, this protagonist was betrothed to marry the crown prince of this kingdom, and then she arrives after having spent her entire life preparing for this role, only to find that he has just died under terrible, tragic circumstances. And so, in order to save the alliance between her parents' kingdom and this new kingdom that she's moving to, they are moving her betrothal to the new heir, who is the crown princess. And so now these two people who have not had a relationship or any kind of dialogue with each other have to figure out if they can if they can love each other. But the fact that they are both women is not particularly relevant to that drama, except insofar as the question of whether they are going to be able to produce an heir. It is possible with magic, but by no means guaranteed. So that's a really interesting setup to me, and I'm looking forward to seeing where they, the author goes with it. Unfortunately, the first chapter is really long and really info-dumpy, and it kind of seems like the author was in such a hurry to tell us all the cool things that were new and different about their world right away. And because of that, the storytelling part of it has just kind of slowed to a crawl, which is not great. It's kind of a rookie mistake. And I get the impression that this is the author's first book that was published. It is at least the first book that was published in this world setting. So I'm hoping that it is just a rookie error heading out of the, the box this is a, a mistake that a lot of people make. It's arguably a mistake I made in Welcome to the City. You know, that book is basically all info dump. It's, you know, it's a short story, but still. So um, we'll see how that goes. I have read some reviews that said that the rest of the book after chapter one is much better. And after the author has gotten through this info dumpy part, it's supposed to be a much better story. So I'm looking forward to that, and we'll see if it's true. And uh, if the rest of the book turns out to be good, then I will tell you the name of the book and the name of the author. So we'll see. I have a couple of other FF romances that I have also downloaded to read. Those, however, are only available in 
ebook. They're not audiobook. And so it's a little harder for me to set aside the time for them. Audiobooks are really easy right now because I have about a 20 minute commute into work every day. So uh, that gives me at least 40 minutes of time to listen to story each day, plus whatever time I spend walking the dogs in the evening. So I've been able to to get about an hour of listening in, even if I don't have time to like sit down and read. So that is how I'm moving forward right now with my creative projects. And I'm hopeful that I will be able to actually start writing soon. I'm already getting ideas from these books about things to think about, things that I need to address in my own stories, things I need to decide how I'm going to deal with in the uh, the time period of Metamore that I'm going to be writing in, because this, this is a new period that I haven't dealt with before. I'm going to be writing in the period right after the end of the Second Great War. So this is a, uh, a time that is... A lot of social change is going on in the Empire, and uh, so I have to think about where things have been in terms of the roles of people in society and how those roles are changing as the characters move forward into this new era in history. I apologize for the noise. This is Saturday afternoon when I'm recording this, and the neighbors are doing their lawn care, so... We're just going to deal with it. And if you hear something cluttering around in the background, that's because Jewel is in my room and she is not wanting to sit still now for some reason. She was perfectly motionless for the last hour before I turned on the recorder, but there you go. Let's see other things that are going on uh, over on the Patreon campaign. We've got a new patron this month. Jason Blythe, also known as Oz Governor, has been a longtime listener and feedbacker. And now he's signed up to support the podcast financially. So thank you very much, Jason. I'm glad to have you aboard. David, Judy, and Kunam also get special props. They've all been patrons for a long time, but they've recently decided to increase their monthly pledges. That's a big help right now because Mel has been laid off from her jobs. Her retail store that she was working at has closed because of the pandemic. And this is her last week or two of work for the uh, Arts and Music Festival that she does remotely. So that is going to be coming to an end in the next week or so. And uh, of course, her photography business is not doing anything right now because people are not booking anything until they see how this whole pandemic shakes out. So we need income. (laughs) And I'm really grateful to everybody who is stepping up to support us during this time. I know that income is uncertain for a lot of us right now. I'm certainly luckier than a lot of people because I do have a day job that is still steady. I'm working in the drug research business, which is not slowing down during this time. If anything, it's speeding up. So I'm, I'm really grateful to have that because that's how we're going to pay our mortgage on the new house. But the fact that we have moved into this new house has increased our expenses quite a bit. So having more expenses and fewer income streams means things are going to be pretty tight right now. And the support that you guys are giving me through Patreon is an absolutely essential part of our income now. So I'm really grateful to everybody who's still able to give. So thank you very much for your support. 
And if you haven't supported me in the past, but you are able to do so, if your own income stream is is secure right now and you can afford to chip in a few bucks a month, that would be a big help. In order to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, sign up and uh, make a monthly pledge, and you'll get special content that nobody else gets. You get author commentaries and story notes and character profiles. You also get access to bonus art from talented Metamorcity artists. Carol Foote has just released her fourth illustration for the short story A Wizard Family Solstice. This one is really great. It shows Esme getting examined with Artax's custom spelltech equipment. It's a very cool little bit of Magitech, and uh, it's really well executed. Carol does an awesome job, and I really look forward to every one of her new pieces as it's completed. This is a image that is available to all patrons at all donation levels, and you can also see a free preview of it at the Fans of Metamore City Facebook page. So again, that's patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. And uh, if you can help out, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to everybody who's helping me to keep the lights on and keep this podcast going. It means a lot to me. So that's where I'm going to leave it for this week. And I will talk to you guys again soon. So until next time, keep it on the bright side. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.